The views and opinions expressed on Analyze This are entirely those of the on-air participants and do not reflect those of the station's board, management, staff, or underwriters. Additional analyze this here on your NPR station in the US Virgin Islands, WTGXFM. My name is Neville Thames. It's beautiful. It really is lovely outside. We got a great show lineup. We should be speaking with Daryl Jashin, uh, Vaitima, um, director uh, in our number one. You know why? Today's the last day of the hurricane season, man. You know, we've been blessed in 2022. And uh, we're grateful for that. I will get a review uh, with the man himself, um, Director Daryl Jashin. And our number two, Nourish the Flourish. I haven't heard from my, my good my good friend, um, Julius Jackson, and of course, uh, Holly Goroff. We call her Holly Louise, uh, the dietitian. And of course, Julia Jackson with my brother's workshop. And, uh, my brother's workshop, bakery and cafe uh, over there uh, on the rock. So looking to talk to them about Little things that we could uh, try to avoid uh, during the holiday season when the appetite is um, on optimum. Uh, but we're trying to not get uh, too pudgy. You know what I mean? Because we're staying inside a little bit more. Let's check. It ain't as uh, warm as it was and humid as it was in uh, September and October. It'll really be nice for during the night now. And I believe it's going to be a real chilly um, nighttime <laughs> in the Virgin Islands uh, come January and February because, seriously, nighttime will be nice, man. I don't know if my uh, DJ agree, but it'll be nice and cool. Yeah, man, come on in. Come on in. been waiting for you. Uh, good to see you. Everything all right? Have a seat. And uh, get those headphones on. We're good. Uh, quickly, uh, I didn't get to do any COVID numbers uh, yesterday. Uh, we had a good um, sample um, that came in on Monday afternoon. That was um, 413 negatives and 14 positives. So that was um, 31 to 1 on the head. Yeah, 31 to 1. And then uh, the sample for yesterday came in at 239 negatives and 8 positives. So that was just under. 30 to 1 because 240 to 8 would have made that 30 to 1. So we're good. Doing good right now. However, on the mainland, though, we got to be careful. Okay? Their positivity rate is now at 10%. And it was it was in the mid 8% for a long, long time. So when you divide that, that differential, let's say 8.5, and now it's at 10. So you take that 1.5 and divide it into... 8.5 mm, 1.5 times 5 is 7 uh, uh, 1.5 into 7 yeah yeah 1.5 times 5 is 7.5 so um yeah that that increase is significant that increase would be um 
I'd say about 17, 17% positivity rate increase, right? Going from 8.6 or 8.5 to 10.0. So we got to keep an eye on that. Also, hospitalizations went up from the 28,000 range based on the New York Times tracker. The hospitalizations are now at 31,125. Weirdly enough, even an ICU's up the same same 300 number. But weirdly enough, average deaths are down 30 per day from 314 to 285. So, you got to keep an eye on that. But in, in, in the meantime and in between time, we got the man here himself, Director Daryl Jackson. Good morning. Director, how are you? Good to see you. Fantastic. Good morning, Neville. Thanks for the opportunity to come in and talk about emergency management in hurricane season and finishing it up. Well, it just so happens that um, when we uh, set up the last Wednesday of the month, that the 30th fell on a Wednesday, you know what I'm saying? So we got lucky. I, I think we planned that out. <laughs> Knowing you, yes. We got lucky. We got lucky. Uh, pull the microphone a little closer to you. Uh, let's stop some agencies doing well. Yes, very well. We just uh, we had some uh, discussions with the legislature. We did a hurricane brief to them um, under uh, Senator um, Bulkus, with mm-hmm. his as his, uh, the chairman of the committee. Mm-hmm. And we went back a couple of weeks later and had a discussion about a, a functional disability coordinator positions in the territory uh, under by team and with ADA coordinator, Mr. Henley, too. Okay, that's good. Um, um, Mr. Henley, I know him. St. Thomas. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. First name was Julian. Yeah, right? Julian, Julian, yeah. Julian. Great, great advocate. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's been with us every step of the way and advocating for um, individuals and sheltering and make sure we look at that not just from a, an aftersight, but forward thought, thinking about how we're going to take care of the uh, critical needs um, for that special population and territory. No, that's good. That's good. So, looking back, um, is there anything about this particular hurricane season that um, we learned from? The lessons learned always when we talk about Vitima in the territory, we have to bring FEMA in on, on the hurricane season. So FEMA always likes to come down when they ever see a threat. And so we had, you know, three visits this year. Uh, one of them, we actually had, you know, a credible threat with uh, Tropical Storm Fiona, which six hours later became a, a Hurricane Fiona and hit um, Puerto, you know, Puerto Rico. Rico. So having that, uh, that team in from FEMA, a, a full force team, was, was fantastic. And again, the lessons that we learned from our capstone exercise back in May um, served dividends in a preparation and prepared to response mode. So combination of our, our critical agencies, FITEMA as a coordinating agency, FEMA as a coordinating agency, working together um, here in the territory, uh, was a fantastic season for that. Uh, lessons learned, I think, you know, goes back to the, the communication to the, the population. Uh, Governor Bryan wanted me to come on the air every Monday starting the height of hurricane season, which is 15 August through 15 October. And we did that. So I think that was a key thing to talk about what is coming to the territory, um, the information, um, and the impact for us in the U.S. Virgin Islands, whether it's St. Croix, St. Thomas, St. John, or, or Water Island. And then, of course, the National Weather Service in Puerto Rico, in late season in November, we started having these um, westward uh, directions from you know, Puerto Rico, from west to east. And we had also troughs coming in from uh, east to west. And so we had a mix right here in Puerto Rico. And while it wasn't the National Hurricane Center involvement, it was the National Weather Service providing us the forecast and all that rain that was coming down. Of course, our cisterns are very, very full now. We started um, the hurricane season in a drought conditions. So it's nice to come out of that with with full full cisterns. But then, when the hurricane season ends, then we typically get we typically typically go dry. 
Yeah, yes. Yeah, like right now we're transitioning into I could see some brown some brown spots there and all that stuff. Um so so what are we doing then um to to work with um those who would be impacted from uh, a lack of rain? Well, I, I think there's two parts and in, in the other challenge we had, we were in a state of emergency not for COVID, but mm -hmm. for a threat for water purification production at Awapa. Mm -hmm. So we actually had a, a emergency, federal declaration emergency going on at the same time that had to impact St. Croix primarily. We looked on St. Thomas also with the sargasm uh, seagrass that came through. So my concern yeah. was, you know, how do we keep the population on St. Croix? Um, about 50% of the population does take water at Awapa, either from the, the direct line or through the, the tankers that deliver, obviously from the private sector. And we were concerned about having to manage that, plus a potential of a tropical storm or hurricane coming through. So that, that was a concern. So I think, you know, we did not have to go to any conservation measures. Uh, we did have a state of emergency we put, the governor put in effect for both the territory, both districts, and then we also had the federal part. But a lot of lessons learned on the sargasm threat that came through. Um, as far as, you know, water... Well, we actually had a one-day threat with sargasm on Saturday, right? Uh, when I came back from St. Thomas on Saturday morning, there was build up there by the seaplane, and they said it happened real quick. Yes, yes. And the way the prevailing winds are, and that's the challenge, just like trying to track an oil slick. Very difficult mm -hmm. to do. U.S. Coast Guard was helping us try to figure that out. But we're always going to see that. It's seasonal. Um, but we're always going to see that threat coming through the territory, and the key is being able to have as much information ahead of time to communicate to uh, the public um, about the, the criticality of that. I know tourism was affected by it also because it has a, a fallout as far as the, the smell and the odor uh, on the shoreline. But the concern from Vitima was obviously the water purification, and that's what uh, the federal um, partners looked at, and they provided support for us. Question from a listener. If WAPA goes into rotation mode, will there be a, a declaration? Emergency declaration. I, you know, the conversations I've had with CEO Smith, uh, Chief of Staff Knight, uh, there is always a potential. And the question is, what sort of, um, you know, emergency declaration would that enact? Mm -hmm. You know, what measures would, would be put in place for that? And that's always a question, not just putting in, in, in place. And I think the concern we do an occasional one-hour, two-hour rotations, but if that fuel supply um, is a challenge. And right now, I'm talking to CEO Smith. He has solutions right now. And if you see what was put out in the papers and in the consortium, um, you know, there is a, a solution in place. Um, but there is always a potential. Governor Bryan will do a declaration. But the question is, you know, what control measures will we put in place? No, no. Getting back to the sargasm, what about long term? Um, has there been, you know, has, have we established some type of plan? Um, are we working with the feds um, to, you know, put said plan in place? Um, and, you know, hopefully, you know, put us into a position where um, we're not subjected to the impact long term. Uh, we had several discussions and we had several briefings and course of action development. Of course, the decision is going to be up to Water Power Authority, what they want to do. Implementation some are very short term, such as we put out the, the boom. Uh, they actually purchased some boom to go out and, mm -hmm. and go around that intake, um, which is a good preventive measure. If it starts backing up again, there's, there's other options to work in. Um, we do have part of the uh, recovery worksheets that are set up. We may have an addition to that that will do more of a long-term effect for that. Uh, so there's all sorts of options we looked at, but the, the federal government made sure that when they sat down with us, we did the intellectual analysis, we did the course of action, but ultimately it came back to us as a territory and water power authority to determine the way forward. What is the, who is your parent company on the mainland? Parent agency, I mean. Uh, if, if we were to look at, at, at an agency on the mainland, yeah. what, who, what, what agency would that be? Every state has a state emergency management agency. They call them OEMs, you know, yeah. emergency. Um, so 
the, and they also have counties and they have cities. So why we just have one, you know, emergency management agency. Mm -hmm. um, some states like Florida, they have separate counties. Each county has emergency management agency. And there's overall a state agency that comes in. So the money start coming in to the state. They come from the federal side to that state emergency management mm -hmm. agency. And based on the declarations, the counties will get the benefit of that. But uh, I, there's at least 54, you know, counterparts to me. And Puerto Rico has one. Of course, you know, we all have different challenges, but we all have similarities also. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, I was just I was just curious as to uh, on the federal level if if you're looking for guidance. Um, I know FEMA. Uh, um, FEMA is a operational thing, or they're, they're more administrative and and providing financing. They per they, they, they cover the gamut, um, but they're you know with the Stafford Act. Yeah. Is the main thing on emergency management. We talk about, of course, mitigation efforts that go on. We got recovery efforts that are going on. We have planning, preparedness, that whole gamut we get involved with. And of course, FEMA supports us in the territory coming up with our threats and risk analysis. So that's part of each state does that, and we do that, and we're doing it right now with our different agencies to come up and say, okay, not just hurricanes, but what else are we concerned with, and what our capabilities are, what our gaps are, and potentially how do we fill those gaps. What, what 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 happens now? You know, tomorrow is December one. Um, we we're officially um, in the non-hurricane mm -hmm. um, season. What are you doing? Are, are you, you going through a review mode um, for the most recent hurricane uh, window, hurricane season window, and uh, and 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 putting together some type of documentation yeah. to send. Yeah, what we're doing, in fact, today we're doing the analysis of the capstone exercise we did in May of 2022 going into hurricane season. We had 19 different initiatives that we focused on that we wanted to improve upon. A lot of those went back to Irma and Maria. Some gaps were identified. But each year we want to get better and better looking in, into that. You know, For example, uh, one team we've stood up this, this year has been the Business Emergency Operations Center called the BEOC. That's not just government agencies. That is really the private sector supply chain. Uh, we had to work that with um, Tropical Storm Fiona, getting oxygen in here. And that was a very important group to work with and understand that not just we have needs, but they have needs also with customs, um, with shipping prioritization, um, to help that, that, that uh, supply chain still maintain, even though it's an emergency, to get that, that business up and operational, stores up and operational as soon as we can before, during, and after storms. Now you, you mentioned um, supply chain, and you know my, my I don't want to say my biggest concern, but a concern of mine right now is the reality that uh, food security is a problem here in the territory. And yes, we have a Department of Agriculture. We've had task force, task force, and all that stuff. But that is a, a Vitima concern as well, right? I mean, if we're talking supply chain and making sure that um, you know consumables are, um, are are getting into the territory because we consume. 98% uh, of what we consume uh, is imported. You know, what can you say with respect to you keeping an eye on that, even though you have, you know, your plate full with, with things that are uh, of a priority nature? But mm -hmm. I would think um, food in the territory is a priority. Yeah, we're, we're always concerned food, medicine, transportation, you know, everything that, that could impact the territory for the well-being of the, of the community, safety, that is always something to look at. Um, we also look at, you know, what partnership is, is established. You know, a lot of suppliers have preferred supply chain. Is there an alternate supply chain getting sourcing out of Puerto Rico, getting sourcing out of out of Florida? As you know, you know, the hurricanes when they come through in Florida. Oh, well, and what about identifying local local providers that um, 
um, businesses may not know of. Like, for example, I was complaining a couple of weeks ago. I couldn't get any lettuce. I couldn't get a Caesar salad where I normally get it because they claimed that the trailer was coming that night. And then the next day, summer summer was letting me know we actually have a lettuce provider here in the territory that people don't really know about. So how about um, you know identifying local entities that um, businesses may not be aware of? Well, I, I think there's probably going to be a consortium of the, the businesses that come together and find that sourcing and then a primary sourcing, alternate sourcing. Vitima will engage if that's something that the prioritization needs to have done and coordinate that. But we do want the private sector to start taking responsibility like they always do. Uh, but if there's issues or concern, we can look at, you know, where can we come together and have that communication? Uh, we won't go out and source them necessarily, but we can bring in some advisors, if you will, from the federal side, mm-hmm. um, you know, FDA, if we have to, USDA to get involved with this and give well, us some really about it's, it's really an information thing, making them aware of who may have a particular product. Yes. Yeah, yeah very, very much so. Yeah. yeah okay. That's, that, 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 that's, some of the, that's just something that, you know, we, we tend to take for granted. And um, the next thing you know, um, the, the, the commodity that you're concerned about is actually among us, and we may not know where to, 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 app, uh, to, to, to access it. Right. You know, and usually in the height of hurricane season, we month of September, we see the shelves come down low. Mm-hmm. That, that's if you've been here any more than a couple of yeah, seasons, it is. But the question yeah. is, you know, you know, we anticipate that. And then how long is it going to last? Um, obviously, critical life-saving, you know, activities, concerns, that's, that's where we're really involved with. Um, but if you're looking at peanut butter, you're looking at, you know, can the schools still maintain the school lunches? Mm-hmm. You know, those are things we want to get involved with to make sure that, you know, we can still provide the community the resources that they need, but also work with the private sector because they're the, the key and the leads for that. Okay, good. Now we are coming up uh, on our break. Um, when we um, come back, uh, I want to get into um, 2023. Uh, because we're looking at uh, <clears throat> where global warming is becoming a big issue and global warming impacts uh, literally everything we do. And, of course, you know, we're surrounded by water. We're in the tropics. Um, we're not subjected um, to the, the true seasonal changes that may take place uh, on the mainland. Uh, but because of global warming, uh, we have the certain things that I want, uh, I'd like for us to discuss um, just to keep awareness uh, at the levels um, that it should be. We got our director, Daryl Jashin. Today is November the 30th, the last day uh, of the hurricane season. Um, officially, of course, you never know weather could appear at any time. Uh, so we'll take a break and we'll be back right after this. busy day, it can be hard to make room for even one more thing. So it's a real plus that All Things Considered from NPR News is great for multitaskers. You can confidently add being well-informed to your to-do list and know that you will get it done. Whether you're cleaning out your junk drawer on a quick drive or something else, listen to All Things Considered every weekday afternoon. From 5 to 8 p.m. right here on WTJX FM 93.1. 
he said that black smoke was constantly coming out of the burn pits 24-7. And my reaction to it was like, wow, that doesn't sound very safe. wonder what that's about. And in my mind, I couldn't imagine at the time that type of system operating could potentially harm our service members. Journalism that seeks and reveals. That's On Point with me, Magna Chakrabarty. Weekdays at 1 p.m. on WTJX FM 93.1, your NPR station in the Virgin Islands. The Forum, a nonprofit organization since 1996, is proud to present the Alex Sop Trio, featuring Virgin Islanders Alexandra Sop, Carlton Holmes, and Victor Provost, who have been hailed by the New York Times as exquisite and beautifully nuanced. The trio will present a variation of contemporary pieces, including works from local composer Bill Lomoda on Saturday, December 3rd at 8 p.m. at the Prior Jolek Hall on Antilles campus. A kids' concert starts at 5 and the courtyard opens at 6 with live music from the Antilles School student-led gig band and the UVI Steel Pan Ensemble, as well as small meals and beverages by Amalia Cafe. More information is available at the forum usvi.org 646-725-3353 and the forum usvi at gmail.com. this and uh, during the break I was talking to uh, Director Daryl Jashin who's my guest this morning uh, about um, my, my trip driving from uh, Dagenal from New York City to uh, Buffalo and then uh, working my way back to the heart of the state and all that stuff so since you went there let, let, let me ask you some these questions some questions since you've been up in that part of the the, um, the country and the world so um Going up wasn't a problem because I leave northern New Jersey about 10 o'clock and I'm on the road for like six and a half, seven hours, better part of that. And I get to Buffalo and overnight in Buffalo. So <clears throat> Friday, uh, that was a Thursday. So the Friday now, um, I leave Buffalo about 11 and I drive into Toronto. Of course, um, you got... Uh, talk to border, yeah. Talk to border, border, border patrol, right? And border control, and then, uh, then you're worrying about your cell phone. But you know, uh, that's not, that's a non-problem. No, they actually the conversion. You don't have to call them anymore. That happens yeah. naturally, right? So that's a, that's Friday morning. So, in retrospect, um, I should have left Saturday night, but I left on Sunday morning. And um, Lake Ontario, right? You actually got to circumnavigate Lake Ontario to get from Toronto to Buffalo. And I dealt with fog <laughs> that, 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 that morning. So uh, these are dynamics that don't exist here in the Virgin Islands, right? Um, you familiar with, with all that, uh, the, the impact of all the Great Lakes and the fog and all that stuff, okay. early morning fog? Oh, yes. I lived up in Minnesota with Lake Superior for, yeah. for several years. So, yeah. definitely, it's, it's beautiful, but you'd have to learn how to drive differently. It, and fog lights are something that, that you need to have because high beams <laughs> will just cause you to be seen less and less. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so this is like, so I get it. I, I leave Toronto at like 8 o'clock uh, in the morning. 
and I'm navigating the the western side of Lake Ontario because you got to work around it to get back to Buffalo. And in like three or four different instances, the fog is so thick, right? Of course, that's because you know you're, you're dealing with uh, um, the <clears throat> undulations and all that stuff, depending on and 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 where where you're traveling. How do um, your counterparts in these states? I mean, we don't have to deal with fog and all that stuff. How do they navigate that? How do how do they deal with all that stuff? Because because that's that's like a daily. That's a daily issue that they're dealing with there, in terms of uh, you know being concerned for the motoring public because people people uh, driving, you know you got truckers and all that stuff. That's a way of life. That's that's just not a tra- a vacation thing. Yeah, you know if you're used to the area, you know where those low areas are. You know where the fog is going to be. That the biggest one I've seen, and this is living in other states, is for school buses. School yeah. buses on the rural roads when you have fog and they're having to stop to pick up children, I mean, you have the foggy conditions, you don't see those those lights. So they've actually had to modify some of the school buses to put you know, different lights on there so you can see them from farther away. And mm-hmm. that, that's a concern. The other piece is, just like we do here, mass messaging, put the information out ahead of time so the communities know, you know if you're gonna have heavy fog, either you know, leave early, go slower, um, but also you do have the police that'll be on the roads advising individuals. Some cases, the ramps will be, will be closed until the fog lifts, but if you have the ability to either get to work early before the fog or wait till it lifts. That's that's a safety concern. That, that, yeah. That's interesting. And and just thinking back about it, you know, you said um, you lived in Minnesota, so you were impacted by Lake Superior. Um, but a lot of, well, not a lot, um, major cities are impacted by the Great Lakes depending on, on where they are. For example, yeah, Chicago, Chicago yeah. Lake Michigan, yes. right? Um, Cleveland, Lake Erie. Yes. And... Uh, with uh, Lake Ontario, both um, Toronto and uh, and Buffalo, right, and then Detroit is 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 impacted. But here, Lake Huron is 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 is, is where farther up north. That's farther up north. Yeah, that, that's yeah. north of Superior. Yeah, I believe, yes. Yeah, uh, the, the, that that lake thing is crazy, man. I mean, <laughs> so so in the in the in the winter time, they act. That's ice. Um. What I've seen it not completely ice in some cases, but it's fresh water. Yeah. So it is going to freeze. Yeah. Uh, you know the concerns are the smaller lakes. They'll actually put fishing houses on, but but not that the big lakes. Of course, you do have a lot of maritime traffic that is on yeah. those lakes. You know, yeah. from Lake Superior, a lot of iron ore. You know, is coming out of there heading over to Detroit. Mm-hmm. Uh, still, so that those are some concerns. But I, you know, it's a, it's like being in the ocean. So, so so that's that's the reason why when these when northerners come to the Virgin Islands, they don't want to leave. They're not subjected to the, to the elements in, here like they are, except for hurricanes, of course. Yeah, if you've been in Chicago and you, and you fly in in the wintertime, you see just that, that amount of ice that is on that lake, and yeah. you're like, oh my goodness, you know, um, get me back home as soon as I can. But and, and Michigan yeah. isn't the biggest one, but it's the longest one, right? In, in terms of, or so would that still be Superior? I know Superior is so huge. Superior is the biggest one, yeah. yeah, but I think Michigan, from a length standpoint, that, that one... Wow, that, that's that's and 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 not only that, right? Those lakes, um, they actually provide a service in terms of a need for these neighboring states, or bordering states. Yeah, yes, they do. Again, the maritime traffic, just like yeah. we have, you know, but they also have the road conditions. They can drive roads, yeah. unlike here. But that is an option for them to move some of the large, large volumes, container ships, and such. Wow, yeah, that that was that was awesome. And then uh, I'm working my way back. 
the Finger Lakes area, well, the, the, uh, upstate New York, that whole. I mean, you, you, you went to West Point. Yes. That's yeah. on that's on the Lake Hudson side, right? Yes, down down about an hour north of, of uh, New York City. Uh, which, New York yeah. City, yeah, yeah. So I, uh, you know, I, I worked my way through. That, that was the first time I, I, I drove through uh, Syracuse. That's a, that's an absolutely gorgeous uh, part of part of New York yeah, State. Not, not too many leaves up there right now. No, <laughs> no they all come down no. and they got some snow up there. No, but now. driving there in, in October, November, more in October, um, with the fall foliage. I mean, that's a, that's a gorgeous yeah. time of the year. The other safety thing is um, this time of year, even though the lakes, you know, look like they're frozen and snow goes on mm-hmm. there, snowmobilers go out and like go in the lakes. But yeah. the, the, the ice is not thick enough yet. And you always have okay. individuals that go through the lakes on snowmobiles. So the, snowmo- the snowmobiles, they could navigate. Well, uh, well, they, they can, but this time of year, they, they want to stay off because it's not thick enough yet. Yeah. Usually after the new year, you get that, that, you know, foot, foot and a half thick ice and yeah. then snowmobiles can go on it. But right now, um, you always have individuals that go and think they can go it because it's covered with snow, thinking it's, it's thick enough. And the next thing you know. And it's not safe. Yeah, yeah. no, it ain't safe. It ain't safe at all. So, um, hurricane season is over. What's the normal routine for your agency? Um, you know, from a review standpoint, and then uh, when we hit the new year, looking at, at June 1. Well, like I said, we'll start today. We'll start analyzing our uh, events that were done this, this year in preparation for it. Uh, we'll look at developing uh, with FEMA some exercises and some agencies to really focus on, you know, those gaps we identified. Um, a lot of it this year, we looked at, you know, because we, we had to run, you know, 24 hours with Fiona. Uh, we activated the EOC, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. And really when you, when you start looking at, you know, because Fiona slowed down. We thought, you know, Fiona's going to come in just last, you know, 24 hours and we go back to our, our normal lives. When once it's slowing down, then I have to make the decision whether or not we're going to have to maintain a night shift. And you have individuals already been there for 12 hours. So part of the, the education uh, for Vitima and agencies, volunteers, is, is being able to be staffed on all three EOCs, St. Croix, St. Thomas, and St. John, to be able to run 24-hour operations. And some of the agencies can, you know, the smaller ones that aren't direct leadership can basically, you know, come back the next morning. But the lead agencies, they need to have representation and be there and be able to, um, some things that come up, make sure we have the log set up, the communication set up. If something does happen, we can respond to that. So that was something uh, that we had not done for a while with 24 operations. I think at all three EOCs, we did a super job on it. Um, one of the concerns, obviously, what are the conditions of the EOCs? You know, if you're gonna have a storm come through, are we gonna shelter in place? Are we gonna go back home and come back? So that's, that's a concern also as far as physical um, security for individuals and safety, as well as meal preparation, because now I have 40 people showing up at the EOC, I gotta feed them. So those are things I wanna make sure that we had not run through this last last year, but we had to do it this year, so we go into those, those um, lessons learned and preparations for next year for doing that. So that's inside by team itself. Um, other agencies, we always talk about some of the key things we have to focus on, patient movement evacuation, opening up shelters, uh, communication with the Joint Information Center uh, for that, communication with like said, the Business Emergency Operations Center for the private sector to find out where they stand, what their needs are. So we'll go through those analysis and we'll have a couple exercises that are set up. Uh, and, and we do have a lot of lessons learned that we want to make sure that we not just say, okay, that was a nice job, but okay, who's responsible by agency? Who are they going to sign to do that? What's going to be done to fix that? What's the time frame going to be done? And can we verify that? So that's all part of uh, lessons learned, corrective action going forward. And it's no different than any other agency would do. We had a lot of lessons learned during COVID, um, which is fantastic. But then, you know, this year we went through hurricane season with understanding we may have COVID surge, may have monkeypox. So how do I open those shelters up? So I want to make sure we communicate 
to the community. We have put safe practices in. So it's not just, oh, show up. No, we want to let you know we have safe measures put in place. So from the Red Cross to the uh, Department of Human Services, who, who is responsible for the shelters, that we make sure we have good communication with the community. Now, we didn't get the, the hit that um, Puerto Rico got um, from Fiona, but we had a extended window of rain here. I met one of my uh, regular contributors, Ronnie Russell, uh, and he lives on the northern side of the island. He said... He got 16 hours of rain, the, 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 not not the heavy, hard rain, but enough rain mm -hmm. uh, to, to, to keep us honest. What was the impact for Fiona and the Virgin Islands? In, in Fiona, there's very little impact for Fiona. But like you said, it was the after later in the season when all this rain that came through. Mm -hmm. Again, we're watching very closely the deviation of the, the, the storm left or right. It could, you know, come towards us. Uh, you know, 72 hours out is we are very concerned with as what's called rapid intensification. So even though it could be a tropical storm, it can intensify that 72 hours out. And I look at the longitude and latitude lines between 48 and 50 is sort of my trigger point based upon a normal movement of the hurricane between, you know, we we'll call it 10, 12 miles per hour to have that uh, time to basically prepare. Again, we want to put out tropical storm um, Watches, which would ha go out 48 hours ahead of time, and the warnings would go out 36 hours prior to the onset of tropical storm force winds or the onset of the hurricane force winds. So that's all looking at and being able to, as soon as we can, communicate uh, to the community. Uh, in Florida, for example, for, for Hurricane Ian, they were able to give five days advance notice of the major hurricane being forecast to come in. Now, that track did change a little bit. As we know, it went down south as opposed to, hit, to Tampa. But that was a fantastic uh, combined effort between the hurricane hunters, which obviously work, work out of here also quite a bit, National Weather Service, uh, NOAA, all those resources coming together and putting those forecasts together. Uh, and this other thing that uh, Florida has is obviously that storm surge. We saw it mm -hmm. so, so bad. So they do multiple models and they call it ensembles and put them together. And they also were able to see how far south that storm surge was gonna come. So even though, um, you know, so Naples area, Marco Island. Fort Myers. Yeah. So yeah. They, they had the advanced information of what was going on. So the emergency managers could put that information out, start the evacuation, uh, make recommendations. Again, there's no, there's, I mean, they call it mandatory, but, you know, people, you know, can stay in their homes if they want to. But you don't be calling 911 again to get rescued, just like, just like here. So you have to be, manage that. And emergency managers have got to stay on top of the game, work with the, the weather forecasters, communicate through Joint Information Center, and make those calls um, to have the public be prepared. In some cases, they, they can travel out. In some cases, they have to stay in place. Like here, um, there's very little thing that we can do uh, to get individuals off the island. It's going to matter where you're going to stay on the island and, and be safe with stay safe with friends, neighbors, uh, just to make sure you're, you're prepared. Now, a couple of things. Um, and by the way, of course, we've had the name change of uh, monkeypox to mpox. Right, they, they change the name. They don't refer to it as much okay. anymore. It's uh, impacts. Um, getting, getting back to global warming, you know, hurricanes have a mind of their own. Um, you know, that's just how it's been. But we're seeing that recently, the storms are now lingering um, in certain areas. They're not moving um, in an east to west fashion at the at the rate of speed that they that they have in the past now you know going back to hugo of course you know you weren't here then but hugo actually stopped here then that stopping that slowing down dynamic is more prevalent now with storms than 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 in the past um dorian of course that one 
you know, went Abaco and didn't move. That was mm -hmm. there forever. You said the same thing with Fiona. We had, you know, 16 hours of rain. Mm -hmm. And of course, that was because um, with Fiona, the Virgin Islands were in the Northeast Quadrant, which is deemed to be the one that, with heavy convection and all that rain and all that stuff. Um, are we looking at things like that and when we're studying, um, looking back at storms and doing postmortems um, to see, you know, um, if in fact the global warming thing is a, creating a trend with, with uh, forward movement or that's just the reality, the uncertainty that comes with, with, with hurricanes? Yeah, I, I had a chance to sit in a conference a couple of weeks ago with the National Hur Hurricane Saint, uh, Center, the National you know, Acting Director, and he gave a great presentation. You know, realizing that, you know, wherever we want to call it, if it's global warming is coming, but there's still those models that are being analyzed. There are those drones that are going out now. There are all those analysis that are being done to give you that forecast. Um, they even flew a, uh, a plane this year, a man plane, as far out as a Hurricane Hunter plane, not a prop one out to Cape Verde Islands and basically tracked it coming back. And the first time they've come out that far, and this was in August. Mm -hmm. August was a very quiet month, as you know, uh, this, this year. Mm -hmm. But the hurricane hunters are, are using more skill sets and more models and more tools now to do better forecasting. So whatever the, the cause is, um, it's being able to give that, that, that inf advanced notice and information tracking that, again, give us the ability to be prepared. Um, and again, we don't, don't wish things away. But we also have to make sure that we understand we can always be impacted. Um, but yeah, yeah. You, know, you know, we're telling the public and we deal with, 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 with the pandemic, trust the science. Yeah. The, the same applications are in effect um, with what we're dealing with in terms of studying um, storms and, and their movement. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple of things that Natural Hurricanes Center, you know, Center puts out. I said, you know, all storms, they're going to have unique characteristics. So mm -hmm. don't just say, well, this one's just like Hugo. Everyone's going to be different. They're going to change their speeds, intensity. will be rain impacted more, wind impacted uh, more. Uh, again, wind-driven rain. All those conditions still exist. And like you say, if it does slow down, um, that's not a good sign. So if they speed up or go through quickly, that's that's a good sign. Mm -hmm. um, but they just said Dorian in the Bahamas was, was terrible yeah. uh, for there. Hugo for here. And, and that's a lot, that's a lot of rain yeah. though. Uh, the, the, in, in the past, we've been impacted. By more wind than rain, but beginning with Maria, um, Irma was yep. was was wind and and and, and devastated St. Thomas and St. John. But Maria was a lot of rain. Dorian a lot of rain. Fiona mm -hmm. a lot of rain yep. again. You know, uh, for some reason, that's uh, again. You know, we're not forcing anybody to buy into theories and all that stuff. But the reality is, you got to study everything. Right, and, and even though it's you know history shows even a category ones um, can have fatalities. Yeah, man. Yeah, uh, yeah, so yeah. Ju just because it's a category, I mean, we're going to make it minimized. More fatalities are happening post storm now. Mm -hmm. You know, we because we, of the flooding, because of the surge, because of you know generators, because of monoxide poisoning. Those are things that we also have to educate the community on and yeah, make sure that's we, a, that's we are. That's a good point. That's not before the storm, during the storm, but after the storm. How do you stay healthy? How do you stay you know prepared? How do you communicate amongst each other? No, well, when we come out from the break, we could talk about, you know, um, suggestions um, um, along those lines. Mm -hmm. um, not just worried about the storm, but the impacts um, uh, that we don't focus on. We'll take a break. Be back uh, with uh, Daryl Jashin on the closing day of the hurricane season 2022. Banking for your business. At Bank of St. Croix, our mobile apps provide access to business accounts on the go. And our merchant card services accept credit and debit payments anywhere, anytime. Plus, the online banking platform means your bank is always open. 
Bank of St. Croix has two locations, one in Gallows Bay at 340-773-8500 and one in Peter's Rest at 340-713-8500. BankofStCroix.com How many days do you think you listened to WTJX this year? Even for just a few minutes at a time? That time adds up. It helps to keep you informed. And your support, combined with that of other listeners, adds up to make a big difference. Before you turn the page on 2022, please be sure to donate to WTJX by calling 844-737-9842 or by heading to WTJX.org forward slash donate. Thank you from all of us here at WTJX FM. 1A is your place for daily conversation with thoughtful guests and listeners from around the country. Fridays are home to our news roundups, where we answer your questions about the biggest stories of the week. I'm Jen White. This year, we continue to celebrate your freedom to listen, weigh in, and share what you're curious about. And with your help, we'll get to the heart of the story together. Weekdays from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. on WTJX FM 93.1. Hi, I'm Amy Goodman, host of Democracy Now! Democracy Now! features ideas and voices from some of the best minds of this generation and previous ones, including activists, muckrakers, visionaries, artists, risk takers, academics, and just folks, as in the most just folks who share a commitment to truth, democracy, justice, diversity, equality, and peace. Catch Democracy Now! at his new time, weekdays at 10 a.m. here on WTJX FM 93.1. And we're back. And we're back here. Uh, analyze this, and we've got um, Latima director uh, Daryl Jackson uh, joining us now. So you know, we're going through the review and all that stuff. Talk a little bit about um, the the tsunami infrastructure um, that um, that um, you and uh, your deputies came in and spoke about uh, during the during the fall. Yes, uh, you know, part of the recovery from Irma Maria, we have 44 tsunami sirens. They were all, you know, damaged um, during the uh, Irma Maria events, and we were able to, you know, bring back under recovery dollars, 90% federal, 10% territorial, all 44 tsunami sirens. And now we're going through now and learning how to operate those, how to communicate in the community. Uh, some of the parts that were identified to, you know, be okay since fibers have gone by are, are not working now. So we're learning our lessons going forward. Uh, we're learning also we have to put some, you know, SD cards in these in these tsunami sirens now because we're going to do both the combination of, of voice uh, and, and tone. So it's the different requirements, and I want to be able to test these, you know, every so often and let the community know, and we'll get a time set up. Uh, so we were also looking at, you know, how that information is communicated to us and where it comes from. So this specific tsunami warning center in Hawaii is actually where it comes from. So we do have the earthquake warning system that comes from here in, in Puerto Rico, the seismic zone. We are in a, a earthquake zone. And the biggest concern, not o- only concern, but um, is the earthquake can generate a, a tsunami. We've got a caller on Good morning, caller. How are you? Yes, good morning, Neville. This is Tyrone Martin. Hey, Mr. Martin, how are you doing? I'm great. And good morning to Mr. Jackson. Good morning, sir. I'm a frequent listener of your show. I haven't called you for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but that's okay. I know you're listening. Appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> My time is tight. I know you're, you're a busy man. Yeah. <laughs> I want to ask a question, a comment, or a concern. Go right ahead. To Mr. Jackson. And I've always said this. Jashen. Jashen. 
Jackson to Mr. Jackson. I'm sorry, I apologize. Yeah. It's in reference to the Stafford Simpson scale as to where the cutoff point is for a tropical storm and where it begins as a Cat 1 hurricane. People have a tendency, I do too, that when you have a tropical storm, they become complacent. They don't take it as serious. Uh, the wind factors, whatever it is, no damage and stuff like that. But if you look at where they cut off or a tropical storm is, and where a Cat 1 uh, storm is defined, I mean, that borderline there is very tight. If you get a tropical storm, let's say I live on top of Crown Mountain, highest speak of St. Thomas. If you get a tropical storm, and you, let's say you reach the maximum wind speed of the tropical storm, but when you get the, um, what, what do you call it? Um, uh, I, oh, I lost my trend of thought there. You get, you get a cat one, but when when you when it kicks in or when this wind sustain well the sustained wind, but the gusts. I'm yeah. looking at the gusts. Yeah. When you get a, a a tropical storm at that rate, and you gust it, the gust wind takes it farther or into a cat one. So I always wonder why can some is there any consideration ever been given to saying. We need to take a look at this because a tropical storm can do, like uh, Mr. Jackson just stipulated, some severe damage, especially rain and wind. Is there any consideration you think there will be for lower end where a, a hurricane Cat 1 windstorm speed will begin to define it as a Cat 1 versus a tropical storm? Because, again, you're a tropical storm. Let's say for, I don't know what the maximum speed is. Let's say if you get a tropical storm that winds 65 miles an hour and it gusts, it gusts to over 70, 75. So that means that you're practically into the wind speed of a Cat 1 hurricane. Mm -hmm. And, again, people become complacent because it's a tropical storm. I, yeah, thank you for the, the question. You know, you're, you're talking, you know, 39 miles an hour is your is the uh, indication when you go in a tropical storm. And that's, again, that's wind speed only. And it's based upon sustained wind speed for that, that one period, uh, one minute period. So that's what the, that's what that definition is. And going up to 74 miles an hour, that gets you to the category one. And you're exactly right. You will potentially have the surges of the, of the winds. You potentially will have in the hurricanes, as you know, you're going to have tornadoes that may be spawned inside there. And of course, the tornadoes have their whole, own different um, you know, wind patterns and, and speeds and concerns and damage that come out of that also. Uh, but really it goes back to, you know, the common definition that we do use. And, and again, the forward movement of that particular system. Uh, we've seen indications where the hurricane hunters will go out and they'll find actually winds that will be greater than 39 miles an hour, but they won't call it a tropical storm yet because they don't see that circulation yet. Mm -hmm. There's about four or five different criteria that have to be met in order to call that a tropical storm or become a named storm and when you start tracking it, it closer. Mm -hmm. But uh, good good comments, but yes, you will be getting you know much much greater winds at uh, higher elevations even, but you will have some of those, those storm surges. But really it's that sustained winds that makes that definition Definition. And again, you know, the hurricane hunters go out, they drop those isodome um, buoys. And again, the storm has different quadrants to it, like another one we've talked about already. So that northeast quadrant is going to be even the worst part of that particular storm mm -hmm. site. But, but he, he asks a good question from the perspective that, you know, he, he lives on Crown Mountain, right? And um, they're, um, and I, I want to make sure I, I, I get this right, Mr. Martin. 
We got designations. Correct, 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 Tyrone. Um, there are designations for tropical storm and and um, hurricane uh, category one things of that nature. And what he's saying is that um, depending on where you live, you're subjected to a, a different level of gusts. That's what you're saying, right, Tyrone? Right. Right. No. And and, and, and oh. as as a result, as a result, what um, people down in the lowlands might be experiencing, that's not necessarily the case up on the mountain where he is. So right. so he may he may be experiencing hurricane gusts while those may be in the in the fifty mile an hour range. Hurricanes what, seventy, seventy two miles? Seventy four miles an hour. Seventy four miles an hour. Yeah. But but because of the gust and all yeah. that stuff, his situation might be where yeah. it, it, it passes that, that designation line. Yeah, and you'll see some of the reports that come out. They'll talk about, you know, from a, a storm. They'll talk about, you know, the Stradamalia Airport, you know, Story King um, at recorded wind speeds of 120 miles an hour, for mm -hmm. example. So you will see spot identification as opposed to the actual storm area in which the hurricane hunters go and National Weather Service goes inside. But each quadrant of that storm has different activities and different speeds that go into that. But yes, you will have different levels. Um, some cases will be less, some cases will be, it'll be more. Tell you what's the altitude, um, how many feet off a sea level you, you believe you at on Grand Mountain? I, I can't say off the top of my head, but um, it, it, it was always a, a debate with a mountain, top of Crong Mountain. Yeah. It is official, yeah. Crong Mountain is the highest. Okay. If you, get the, if you get, let's say, forget whatever wind speed, whatever wind speed you get down uh, at sea level, you can add another 20 miles an hour. But I, I'm glad he mentioned that where you have the wind gauge. You have a wind gauge that is located down at the airport. That's a low point. Correct. That's why I asked that question because me and, uh, me and, uh, me and Lolo were talking about that up to yesterday because he lives in Solbog, right? And that's, right. Like, that's like half the way up to uh, where you at, right? right. And uh, so we were just curious uh, uh, about that. So, that, that you know, that's, that's interesting. That's something that we could look at. Yeah, the, uh, yeah. Why would you have your gauge down at the airport with the lowest point and not at one point, what a mountain top of Kong Mountain, which is the higher point. Mm -hmm. But again, going back to... So we, well, well, that's because we use airports. So here on St. Croix, we do the same thing with the Henry Rosen Airport. And, and so, they, so they use the airports as a designation point. But what, what, so, so the next question would be, how many different um, gauges and meters are we have, uh, do we designate for uh, a particular area? Uh, well, I, I would say... Who, who, whose decision is that? National Weather Service we, in Puerto Rico we work yeah. with, and we are looking at adding two more you know, stations, okay. and also they want to add one on, on St. John. Because they were here they were here two weeks ago, uh, well, last week. Uh, well, the hurricane hers are always hanging around. No, but, I'm talking but, about the, the weather, the weather, the National Weather Service, because we, we spoke with them last okay. week, Monday, and Jose Aleman, before he left on Friday, he said he was in St. Thomas and yeah. St. John. Yeah, they're look, but, yeah. yeah, looking at those sites. Also, the, the NOAA, you know, repeaters setting up and get that weather system. Mm -hmm. The other effect you have to look at was called the Venturi effect. Venturia, Venturi is when, you know, the winds are basically in a choke point, like between two buildings. Yeah. They'll speed up also inside that, just because of the dynamics and the physics behind that. Mm -hmm. So you'll have that also. You may have winds above you, maybe you know 100 miles an hour, but that Venturi effect will cause it to be 120 miles an hour. Okay. Also, interesting, interesting. Thank you, you Tyrone, for the. But, but, but not to cut you off. No. Again, going back to my original question, is there any consideration will ever be given to saying we got to take a look at where do we define a Cat One hurricane begins and where the tropical storm ends? and possibly lower the beginning of the hurricane wind speed. But if it's 75 to lower it down to 70, that will put people more on, on, on you know, 
on, on, on a cautious mode instead of like, hey, it's a tropical storm, little wind and rain, we'll get by to it. But again, I just said, but Novell, I want to be, I, let me close off. I don't want to take too much time. I want to take this opportunity to thank you, your radio program, yeah. and your radio station. Uh, I don't know if you, um, this is all the subject. Recollect quite some time ago, we got into a conversation with the new highway and that traffic backup. That was yeah, uh, yeah, the, 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 the choking point and 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 uh, uh, down on the main um, the waterfront area. Yeah. yeah, down by uh, where it terminates, down by the legislature. Yeah, the legislature by, by by the um the vendors plaza. Yeah, right. Yeah. and I went on and it, it was a conversation where I told you that I had a simple system that was there before that could have been put in place. No money, minuscule amount of money to when it com compared to what impact it would have. Well, I gotta say. Yeah, I don't know if you take taking a look at it. My good friend Doc Cole, I know him very well, and when yeah. we began the conversation, the system after six months was finally installed. <laughs> that's that's and awesome. You wouldn't believe. <laughs> no, I, I drove I drove through there on Saturday and Friday, and I, and it's smooth as ever, man. I, I went through there, that were nice, man. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so so I did I didn't realize at the point in the system, but uh, when I when I drove through there a couple of times between Friday and Saturday, I didn't have a problem at all. It was nice. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. like night and day. Yeah, no, I ain't gonna look. I haven't collect any residual <laughs> funding from WAP from public works for my pattern. But I'll let them slide on this one. But it works. And until we do phase two, you know, it is something that I said that would work, and it worked. Awesome. Awesome. If I tell you a fly can pull a plow, don't ask me how. <laughs> just hit him up. One love. Have a good day. Thank you very much, Tyrone. Appreciate appreciate that. Um, speaking of which, um, traffic is another issue with with Vitima, right? You guys work you work with Public Works and and all that stuff to make sure that you know things can things can move in, in the event that we have uh, incident um, situations and you, storms. You, yeah, you have lead agencies, you have coordinating agencies. My team's a coordinating agency, but we work with Public Works also. And, and you know, if we do have rains, we do have you know traffic congestions. Uh, we try to have that communication. Uh, the challenge is we put messaging out, you know, the alert VI system, you know, some of that you can sign up, you can get rec uh, automatic recognitions uh, for that. Uh, but we want to make sure they stay more of an emergency in, in nature than just, mm -hmm. hey, we got a 10-minute you know, backup here. But something that would uh, communicate to the public there's something is a concern and be prepared for it. I got uh, one of my listeners was saying um, those locations are the official stations of record for the National Weather Service, mm -hmm. right? Uh, Bertha is a good example of that. Uh, that's a hurricane that we had, um, I think it was a year after, uh, Maryland. Um, and typically we get cat ones in June and July. Uh, that's just a historical thing. I mean, a storm can, can, can elevate to whatever level of intensification uh, it feels like because they have a mind of their own. Uh, but uh, like you said, our peak season is August 15th to October 15th, right? That's yes. a 60-day yes. window. Mm -hmm. And then we learned here, talking with Jose Alemán, um, that um, the hottest months of the year in the, on the mainland are July and August, whereas in the Virgin Islands, it's September and October. Yeah. And we deal with that humidity and all that stuff. So, you know, everything's, everything's different. And we're in the tropics. Yeah. Right? Our thing is different, right? Now, on the mainland, though, the heat that they experience, like in a Chicago and all that stuff in July, that's a completely different thing that we're not used to here in the territory. Yeah, and that's why you have the cooling centers yeah. being set up by emergency management agencies and coordinate. That's a very serious yeah. thing. And the lake is a reason for that, right? The proximity to the lake and 
buildings yeah. and all that stuff. And yeah, I, I think in the cities you actually get your own weather system in some cases, like Atlanta, because mm-hmm. you have so much asphalt, and that's why they're trying to put more plants and you know on top of the roofs now. Yeah. But there's a, their own weather patterns are coming out of cities now because of just how how big they are. Yeah, yeah, that's that's interesting. Well, you know, first of all, you know, we, we want to knock on wood, and we're grateful that the, the hurricane season. Um, has come and gone for 2022, of course. 2023 is around, around, around the corner. And we want to thank you and your agency um, for uh, providing leadership and, 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 you know, the suggestion that uh, Mr. Martin made. Um, maybe um, hurricane awareness is something that we could continue to build here in the territory. Yeah, d- definitely, no matter what it is, with weather concerns like we had post um, you know, end of the season here, we had those those conditions that dropped a lot of that rain. Mm-hmm. It's just as important to communicate because of flooding, no matter where it's the source is. It could be a hurricane. It could be, you know, rain coming through from two different angles. Um, that's a concern. And so I think you do heard what happened down in Fredericksted. Um, the drainage is such that, you know, you have to be prepared for that. So outreach- Historically, we get November rains in, in, in particular uh, in Fredericksted. 2010, <laughs> we got washed away. Um, yeah. We had, we had a, 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 a rain system that came through here. I'd say eight, nine days after the hurricane, mm-hmm. after, after the election in 2010, destroyed the whole gut. And that's Frederick said is really yep. a, a gut area, you know, um, and all that stuff. So uh, these are things uh, that we're looking at. Um, continue success at uh, uh, the Virgin Islands Territorial Emergency Management System. Feel free to reach out if you need to make any uh, announcements and all that stuff. And uh, thank you very much for joining us uh, with our Wednesday thing. Uh, um, during the hurricane season, and we'll do it again next year. No, I look forward to it. Again, it's a team effort. You know, you're part of the team also, and I think just working agencies together and well as the community listening to those those alerts and being prepared mm-hmm. um, and always being vigilant and staying informed. Those are all parts of a success for we have as a territory. Without a doubt. That's um, Director Darrell Jashin, the man himself, Virgin Islands Territorial Emergency Management Agency, um, you know, making his appearance here on the last Wednesday of the month. Happens to be the last day of the hurricane season. So uh, we're grateful that uh, we weren't impacted here in the territory and the recovery efforts can continue um, because, of course, you know, that's a decade-long investment and, and job. We'll take a break, and we'll be back right after this. The views and opinions expressed on Analyze This are entirely those of the on-air participants and do not reflect those of the station's board, management, staff, or underwriters. Listening to the wings of a monarch butterfly, what a magical thought. They arrive here on the Day of the Dead, which we celebrate here in Mexico, and A lot of the indigenous people believe that it's the souls of their ancestors that are returning. And it's very spiritual. That's On Point with me, Meghna Chakrabarty. Weekdays at 1 p.m. on WTJX FM 93.1. I'm Martinez from NPR. Giving Tuesday is all about generosity. 
everyone has something to give, but you know it's okay to give for yourself. When you donate, it makes you feel good. So even if your reasons for giving to this station aren't purely selfless, who cares? Give yourself a little pick-me-up while giving to this station. Here's how. Donate to WTJX FM this Giving Tuesday by visiting WTJX.org. And remember, all donations are tax-deductible.